I uh, was thinking this morning about what people do when they respond to places and circumstances like we saw Thursday night, Friday morning, heard about in Aurora, Colorado. Uh, saw on the internet, Facebook, all kinds of social media, people making observations and realignments about Sunday plans and and John Scott just mentioned we've got some plans to maybe help some folks there through the churches there in that area. We've got friends, several of us have friends that Denver area and hearing their heartache, hearing their hurt, and hearing their want to, their desire to reach out and to serve and to care and to give is, uh, it's inspiring, but it's also, there's a certain heaviness. And I think when I hear that, when I see that, when I experience and I, and, I, and I hear people telling the story. When we hear the stories, I guess next Sunday night, we'll hear stories about the Guatemala uh, mission trip this year. We're going to hear some, several. I want to encourage you to go and just, just visit with those that went. Visit with those that have gone to Ghana. There are some other places where we go into the city all the time, under bridges and various places. And you see these things, and you hear these people talk. And I'm reminded. It's a, it's a recalibration for me. I'm reminded of what matters and what doesn't. Last night, I guess I heard someone say, you know, they talked about all the political campaigns. They said it's good to watch people stop. It's good to, to watch both, both camps stop and say, let's stop the campaign. And let's, just, let's just quit throwing accusations or observations or statements about one another. And let's, let's just let it die down. And let's appreciate and care for and give respect to and kindness to the people in Aurora and those around. And by the way, let's go ahead and give some kindness to the people on the other side of the aisle. And I think there's something beautiful about that. I think there's something beautiful about stopping and seeing in, the, in tons and tons of ugly things that took place in that theater and the things that, have heard, that we've heard since then. And so people have kind of stopped and they've reconsidered and thought, you know, there are some things that matter and there are some things that don't. And I keep pushing and pushing and going and going. I think I'm going to just stop my agenda and I want to go and I want to hug someone that I love. There are parents that stop and they suddenly want to say, I want to stop and have a little bit longer conversation with my child. I want to hug her. I want to hug her. I want to do that. And some kids are looking at their moms and their dads and they're going, what's up with you? And moms and dads are reminded there are things, there are treasures among them that they don't necessarily, they, they scoot right past. We've been, we've been exploring, Gordon has been doing a series on Sunday mornings that it's explored messages from Ecclesiastes. And I think Solomon does just this. I think he's very in tune to, he was very in tune to helping people to recognize there, there are some things that matter and there are some things that don't. And plenty of us, most of us, spend a lot of time chasing stuff that doesn't. Things that seem to matter, things that we, we get up in the morning, we plan for, and we give strategy to, we give thought, we get angst, we get ex ex excitement, and we get anxiety, and we, we spend a lot of time pursuing. And, and Solomon said, I've been there. I've seen it. I've done it. And there are times and there are occasions, hopefully you don't have to wait for Ugly incidents like happened Thursday night, Friday morning before your attention to be grabbed and stop and say, there are some things that matter. And so he developed that. He starts off Ecclesiastes and he says, you know, everything really is meaningless. At the end of Ecclesiastes, he reminds us there are a couple of things that aren't. But most everything we experience is, is pretty meaningless. 
I want to ask you to stop for just a second. I want to ask you to pray with me. And I want, you, I want to ask you to invite God to open your heart like I'm going to ask him to open my heart. And maybe there's something, that, some business he needs to do with you and with me to maybe filter through some of the stuff that we have on the surface. Pray with me if you will. I got to confess, Father, that even now as I'm sharing some things that I, I believe that you've given and it's certainly not mine. God, I've got to say that I find myself sometimes coming into a room like this and even delivering some message or sharing some conversation, and I get caught up in the stuff of, of this life, this world, and it gets, and it becomes consuming sometimes, and I need to be stopped and reminded that most of that is fairly meaningless. There are a few things that matter. And I thank you, God, for your word, and I thank you for your giving us that, that message, those messages, 66 books that we can draw from to get your heart and your mind and get a kind of an insight into your, your priority system and what matters to you and what, what must matter to us. And God, help me to not scoot past that. Help me to camp out there and help me to not have to be grabbed by my ears to stop and sit down to get that done. But let me constantly be in tune to that forgive me and for all of us in this room i pray god that there'll be some things each person maybe something different but that we'll be hearing you and you'll draw us to that place where we're not giving you a quick nod and then moving on to the next thing but we just stop and hear and listen and drink it in and then make some changes whatever those changes are we pray that because we know you hear us now and we know that you want us to change to become more like you and it's in in jesus name we pray amen i too when i've come back from third world countries like john scott just said it's a reminder that there are some things i really appreciate and i really feel blessed about and on an occasion like this i want to ask you to look at ecclesiastes chapter 5 we're going to go to a place where where Solomon pulls up Koheleth, the teacher, is the Hebrew word. Koheleth, this, this, this king, this mountain of wisdom. And in the latter part of his years, this godly man who's saying, I've been there and I've done it and I've made mistakes. But I, let me tell you, let me tell you one piece that I see a lot. It's manifested, it's been manifested in my life. And most everyone I've seen, I've watched them run run to compete it's kind of it kind of has played out and most recently i've seen there's a there's a wave on tv a wave of of tv shows reality shows if you will one of those that seems to manifest this as much as any is storage wars anyone seen it storage wars it's a it's on the a and e network and it's a uh, it's one of several but it's one that's really made a big splash in fact there's a lot of copycats now but it's a it's a show that basically is is uh, played out mostly in california in southern california people that have these storage units they have these storage units loaded up with stuff and if they they're supposed to pay rent on their on their storage units and if they don't if they miss three months then this storage unit is up for auction. And so these people are called to this auction and they all come together and these professional buyers, they're called together and they're, they line up in this row and they sit there and they, as, as, as these shows go, there's the characters develop and so there's some smack talk and there's some vibrato and there's some, they develop these, 
these, uh, you find out more about these people and where they are and what they're going to do and how they look at each other and their place in life and how they want to present themselves. Well, well these, these folks show up in this storage area and they're given five minutes to stand. The, the door opens, they're given five minutes to take a look in the storage unit and then they, they kind of assess the picture and they kind of think, okay, do I want to bid something, bid nothing, whatever. And so then they stop and they, they say so five minutes is up and they have a professional auctioneer who begins the, the auction and they start bidding for what's in there. And the hope is that they're going to find some treasure. They'll find some treasure that they're going to, that they're going to bid, hopefully low, get it, pull it out, go and resell for a great profit. And there's a whole lot of talk and provocation and a pursuit of the treasure and a desire to make a lot. And I say, welcome to North America. It's now enjoyed, what, the second or third year? Now there's some copycats. There's Storage Wars, Texas. There's getting ready to be Storage Wars, New York. And, and there's some other other reality shows that have a similar theme, a similar feel. There's American Pickers. A couple of guys go run around the country trying to find stuff. Everyone, someone else's junk becomes their treasure. And there's, hear me clearly, Pawn Stars, okay? Pawn, P-A-W-N, Stars. Another show that is intended to bring in stuff from one person to buy low and to go and wait or to sell high. And the story goes on and there are more and more that are developing. Barter Kings is another one. Why in the world, I ask you, is there such a market, such a viewership for these shows? The second season of Storage Wars apparently hit 5.1 million viewers, the number one rated show on A&E Network. Why is that the case? I'm convinced it's because Solomon knew what he was talking about when he said, People chase wealth. People are looking for stuff. We want things. The TV is filled up with new and different ways of going at some things that have been around for a long time. A new and different way to, to make it in real estate. A new and different way to buy something that other people, an angle that other people don't have. Solomon said, I get that. I know that. I've got storage after storage after storage bin of stuff. I did it myself. Let me tell you something, chasing after the wind. Read with me if you would. Please ask these chapter, chapter 5, 8 through 20. We're going to have to stop and start a few times along the way. Solomon, I believe, is not just filling a page and he's not just trying to cover and make sure he's covered all the hot topics. I believe what Solomon is doing is he's trying to invite you and he's trying to invite me into the heart and the mind and the soul of God, a father who says, I know you, I love you, I designed you, and I don't want you to get sucked into and seduced into a system where there's an empty promise and you're going to leave, you're going to be left holding a bag or with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. He says it this way. He says in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, beginning in verse, uh, verse 8, if you see the poor oppressed in a district and justice and rights denied, don't be surprised and such things happens all the time would be the message for one official is eyed by a higher one and over them over them both are, are others still higher the increase from the land is taken by all and the king himself profits from the fields this is not a new system 
This is a system that's been going on and on and on, Solomon says. When people make stuff, when people profit, when people make big gains, I know this is an overstatement, but Solomon says, inevitably, there will be people who are oppressing others, who are causing injustices to others. Is that in every case? No. We'll get to that in a second. But he is saying, and it's a warning, he's saying, beware of this. Be cautious and be aware because when people are seeking to find their own gain, particularly when people have kind of developed this higher and then higher and then it's tighter and closer to the top and we're going to guard our spot, the good old boy or good old girl system, then there are going to be people that are going to be oppressed. There are going to be people that are going to be feeling a sense of injustice and hurt and pain and want. Solomon says, watch that. Be careful. Throughout Scripture, God reveals Himself, and, one of the, and He reveals His characteristics in a repeating, recurring characteristic of God and a repeating characteristic of Jesus Christ is one who is in tune to the hurting and tuned to the poor. He goes on and on and on about money. But he says, let me tell you, when you hurt the poor, you're hurting me. Matthew 25. When you don't tend to the poor, you're not tending to me. In the earliest of days, God went to Moses in Exodus chapter 3, and he said, Moses, come here through a burning bush. And Moses came over, and we get caught with the message of the bush. But what I want to encourage you to do is to hear just beyond the call to the burning bush. He says, Put your set, take your shoes off, yes, okay. But then it's the next message. The next message is, I've heard the cry and the distress of my people in Egypt. And I'm looking for somebody to do something about that. And he goes on with the debate about whether he's the guy or not. I think he's missing the point. The point is, his people are hurting. There are people that are oppressed and hurting in Egypt. And he says, I will go and get them. And I'm going to find someone, some agent, some representative to help me get that mission accomplished. And I will not stop until I go and I seek and get them out of there. Solomon, a man of great riches, was saying, I get it now. And hear me clearly. When, if and when you seek wealth, please know, number one, it's an empty promise, ultimately. We'll get to the latter part of this reading, and Solomon's going to comment on the, the appropriate place for riches. But he's saying, and hear me clearly, sisters and brothers, I think that what he's saying most is that if you don't, and if I don't, and if we don't, recognize that one of the most significant and profound statements in this message is not about the wealth, it's about what we do with those that are oppressed. Does that make sense? That is... You cannot surgically remove that from the character of God. So that when the group goes down and sees people in Antigua, or you go out in the bush in Africa, whether it's Ghana or other places, or if you go down here on 75 under the bridges out here down Forest and the Dart Station, or pick your places, or you see the women that, they, that have been dancing in the clubs down here on Harry Hines. And they're trying to get out. God calls that oppression. And he says, those are my people. Don't lose them in the process of your living life. 
Because I'm not. I see them and I hear them. I hear their calls of distress. He says something else in Ecclesiastes 9 or 10 through 12. Read with me if you would. Whoever loves money never has enough. It's an insatiable desire. Whoever has money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. I know no one in here knows anyone like that or maybe experienced some of that themselves, but uh, I've toyed with that off and on through my life. Whoever has stuff and has more stuff seems to have difficulty not wanting more stuff, bigger and better, whatever it is. Anyone want a bigger TV? A nicer one? A flatter one? This too is meaningless, he says. As, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. Anyone cashed in on something and found some relatives you didn't know about to come to visit? Solomon says, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to, to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, where they eat little or much. But as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. For anyone who has stuff, and we certainly are in a place in this world where we are, we are, we be them, or we are surrounded by them, North Dallas the United States of America, arguably, arguably the wealthiest, if not one of the wealthiest places, properties in the world. And if you want to zero in in any particular area of the country, you could probably pick New York, L.A., maybe some East Coast places, but Texas does pretty well. And if we want to identify some places in Texas that does pretty well, it would be hard to argue that this is not one of the leading places in this state. And if you want to argue about whether where in Dallas might be one of the more significant affluent places in this city, it could be that North Dallas sets the curve. Ouch. So I ask you, how are you doing with this? Solomon says, if you have lots of stuff or if you are in the pursuit and I think there's a difference. If you are one who is in pursuit of lots of stuff, must be careful. Because she or he may find themselves shifting from wanting it and liking it to becoming preoccupied and then find themselves with that as the first thing they wake up with in the morning and throughout the day. Solomon's words, not mine. If you would look at uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, the next few phrases, next few verses, 13 to 17, he says this, I've seen a grievous evil under the sun. Wealth is hoarded to the harm of its owners. The wealth lost through some misfortune as that when they have, uh, have children, there's nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb. And as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing, for their, nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil, grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what they gain since their toil from the wind. 
All their days they eat in darkness with great frustration, affliction, and anger. There's a message that Solomon is communicating to us that reminds each of us that you're born with nothing and you're going to leave with nothing. And as you spend some time, if it's 10 years or if it's 100 years, the end is still the same. John Ortberg writes a book that's called Everything Goes Back in the Box. The End of Your Life. And he develops that thought throughout his book. We have all known and possibly had people very close to us who have had experience believing, hoping, praying, pushing, pushing, and pushing to make that, the accumulation of stuff, the number one goal. And at the end of their years, there's a sadness over the funeral experience when those that they love most and those that love them recognize that the target was missed. i got to believe that Solomon is writing this with sadness because he's knowing people. And probably he's looking at some of the pictures on his shelf and remembering some of the occasions when he didn't spend his time properly. His time investing in things that mattered best. But he said, if the person pursues that as his or her ultimate goal, disappointment and pain and emptiness is a sure result. And then the final section here, if you would, Ecclesiastes chapter 5 18 to 20. With the backdrop of wasted experience, pursuit for things that don't matter, he says there's a different perspective of life. The different perspective of life leads you to a different way of life, to a different ending of life. And he summarizes in this section. This is what I've observed to be good. And that is appropriate for a person, it is appropriate for a person to eat and to drink and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the very few days of life that God, that God has given them. For this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them to accept their lot and to be happy in their toil this is a gift from god they seldom reflect on the days of their life because god keeps them because god keeps them occupied with what with gladness of heart. I've known people in my life, and I'm sure you have in yours, who have said and kept me recalibrated throughout my life, reminding me of the things that matter and the things that don't. Some of those people were quite wealthy. Some of those people not so much. Truett Cathy was interviewed yesterday by Mike Huckabee, and a question that Huckabee asked Truett Cathy, Truett Cathy, CEO, founder of Chick-fil-A, the Christian fast food place. Uh, did you know we have our own fast food place? <laughs> he said, what is your, success, what is your uh, secret for success? 
He said, now if you're in a business meeting and a in a seminar, you, probably, you might expect a lot of strategy. and, and uh, He said this. Treat people you want, the way you want to be treated. Now he's known to shut down Chick-fil-A on Sunday and encourage people to go to church. Has done that for years. And they can argue about how much business they've won, how much business they've lost, the loyalties of the people that have appreciated that, those that have not appreciated that and want to get their chicken sandwich on Sunday, he's quite confident that he's not lost. I am too. We're a Christian people, and so these places in Scripture and this message of chasing after wealth is not a new one. And some might yawn and say, heard this before. So let me remind you of places that we're quite familiar with, and let me see if, just to bring those up to, to, uh, to your to your memory, Leviticus chapter 19, 13 says, You shall not oppress your neighbor, nor rob him. The wages of a hired man are not, are, are not to remain with you all night until morning. Proverbs 11, 1 says, The Lord abhors dishonest scales, but accurate weights are his delight. Isaiah says, He who walks righteously and speaks what is right, who rejects gain from extortion and keeps his hand from accepting bribes, who stops his ears against plots of murder and shuts his eyes against contemplating evil. This is the man who will dwell on the heights, whose refuge will be the, the mountain fortress. His bread will be supplied the, and water will not fail him. Another proverb, Proverbs 23, 4 and 5, do not wear yourself out to get rich. Have the wisdom to show restraint. Cast but a glance at riches and they are gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly off to the sky like an eagle and then a few in the new testament matthew chapter 16 19 through 21 says don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy or where thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also Matthew 20, uh, 16 26 what good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world and yet forfeits his soul or what can a man give in exchange for his soul and then again in Matthew 19 24 it's easier for a camel to walk through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get to heaven. And then Paul writes to Timothy and he says in 1 Timothy 6, 9 through 11, people who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and, and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all of this and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. And let me remind you of Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount when he says it pretty clearly and straight, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other 
You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you'll eat, what you'll drink, or about your body, what you'll wear. Is not life more important than clothes? So don't worry and say, what will I eat, or what will I drink, or what will I wear? For the pagans run after all of these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And we could go through and we could track the occasion where the rich young ruler was, had all kinds of things, and he asked, what does it take to get eternal life? And Jesus gave him three commands, and he said, I've done all those. He said, well, and that's fine. But you are lacking one thing. Go and sell your stuff. Give it to the poor. So why, Christian brothers and sisters, do I methodically take you back to places that we're all familiar with? Because Solomon reminds us that even those who get it still have to be recalibrated. We still have to be brought, I have to be brought back to the things that I know. Because I know all that stuff. I've taught it, I've preached it. And I still find myself easily seduced into the things of this world that would say, but this is fun, meaningful, useful. This will get you respect, prestige, security. This will get you notability. This will get you, and you fill in the blank. I don't know what. For some of you, it's not an issue at all. For some of you that have quite a bit of money, this is not an issue for, for you at all. For some of you who may have a lot of money or other stuff, it could be. And you know best. And so we stop and pull up and ask you to assess yourself. There may be some of you that don't have a lot of money. And it's still an issue for you. But I want to take you back to a consideration and a place where I believe that God calls us to have a keen sense of calling. And that is to those people who in the process of us making money or doing life or living it out, even if we're not looking to make the money or get the wealth or get the prestige or whatever, those people that are oppressed and those people that are exploited and those people that are left behind those people that are looked past. There's a greeting in Africa that essentially says this. When they go along the road and they encounter someone walking their way, the message is, I see you. Which is a statement of honor and dignity and recognizing that they are a human being that deserves their attention. And I've got to believe and I worry when Solomon reminds me of this and reminds us of this, I think what he's, he's doing is tapping into a key place where, where it may be that you live and that I live. And this has very little to do with money and it has more to do with recognizing the people who are left behind. He says in every culture, in every life, in every place, there are people that are lost and forgotten. People that are minimized on the bottom of a ladder, of a wealth ladder, or just in the bottom of a social culture. And he says, you must not, you cannot. The heart of God sees and honors and appreciates and respects and loves and cares for them. You must too, people of God. If you don't, you're not being consistently with walking step in step with the heart of God. 
I believe that is a message that's coming through loud and clear in his original point. In the process of seeking wealth, many are oppressed. A friend of mine years ago, when I was visiting with him in Lubbock, uh, if I said his name, he had some notable things that took place in his life, and several of you would at least recognize the story. But he was, he was a, a director of a camp that I worked with centuries ago, and I went, went to visit him in, in Lubbock, and we were at a restaurant. And some waiters were coming, a waiter was coming and serving the table, and as we did that, we ordered and we walked, uh, and the waiter came back a couple times back and forth from the table, and uh, we gave our order, and my friend said, excuse me, what's your name? And the waiter said, my name is, and told him, he said, Rick, it's good to meet you and thank you for serving us. Rick goes back into the back room comes back out my friend says rick i really appreciate that could i get some more water please thank you rick and this went back and forth for a while and as we had the conversation i had as we were just talking about stuff catching up on life stuff the obvious question for me that i had for my friend was tell me about this where you started calling you know this guy well no i don't i just asked his name well why do you what led you to do this and he said well i I, years ago, I served as a waiter, and what I recognized was that I would walk up and I would be in a servant position, and people would look right past me and not even recognize I, was, I had a face. I was a non-person. And I started thinking about what that felt like, and I thought, I don't want to experience that anymore. I don't want anyone else to experience that anymore. And so from that, stint, from that point forward, I, every waiter or waitress that came to my table, I said, can you tell me your name? What's your name? They tell me. And I just greeted them with their name from that point on well that was mid-80s and I've fixed goal but I picked up on that one and I learned from people that do such things try to practice that not a big deal unless you're the waiter or the waitress who's treated by everyone else as a servant Galen Van Reenen is uh, leads Mission Alive it's a church planning group and we were having lunch a couple weeks ago, and we were visiting about some things. And he said, you know, Gary, one of the things that I'm trying to do in conversations I'm having with people is this. Two questions seem to be cropping up. Two primary questions, they are these. One is, what's God revealing to you? In any conversation I have with people who are considering whether, where God's taking them in the future, he says, what question is, what is God doing with you? What's he showing you? What's he revealing you? To Who is he revealing to you? And then the second question is, what do we do about that? What's your response? And I think fundamentally, that question is one, if it's on a micro level at a restaurant in a city, or if it's a macro level going to Ghana or Guatemala or Appalachian Mountains or under the bridges around down I-75 like we do or wherever we go, new friends, new life or whatever, it is what are we doing on a micro level or a macro level to see the people that others are missing? Not just see them, but then what do you do with that? Is that about money? Not really. But I think it's about God. I don't know where this is for you, but I think Solomon says to you and to me, we must follow him, listen to the heart of the Father, and be in tune to the heart of the Father, and not just leave it on the curb, but to go forward. I'm looking forward to the 
conversations with the kids when they come back from the Appalachian Mountains and when they're working with homes. Not so much because of the week that they have there, but the question is, where do you go from here? When the Millers have people, all kinds of folks at their home, what do you do with those conversations? Where do they go from there? When lives are changed and transformed, and, and I start, I kind of wish I wouldn't mention one name because we start a number of people all throughout this church. When you encounter people, when you see that person, the guy that I see at Coit, and under 635 Coit, and he's right there at my left turn as I go up Coit to Richardson. What do I do with him? Look the other way or stop? Engage in that relationship. He says, you must not, I must not, we must not ignore the oppressed of our culture, the lost or forgotten of our culture, the people that don't get the notability. We must be if we're going to continue to be people of God.